second Bible reading tonight is from um, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 21 to 35. So you can follow along on the screen or in your pew Bibles, which should be on page 1028, titled The Parable of the Unmerciful Servant. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him ten thousand talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Here ends the reading. Thank you, Crystal, for reading that. Now, why don't you take a moment, turn around, welcome each other, greet each other, grab an outline if you don't have one, and also there's a full transcript of the sermon if you find that helpful to follow along, so you can grab that out front as well. And I'll call call you back shortly. Okay, friends, uh, let's have a look at this passage. Uh, Let's turn to God in prayer, asking for his help, and then we'll have a look. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful parable of what it teaches us about the realities of life. So help us to see what it means and how we are to respond. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, have you heard of the statement, to err is human... To forgive is divine. This was a phrase coined by a 17th century English poet, Alexander Pope. And you know what that means, right? To be human means to make mistakes. I'll muck up. I'll stuff up at some time. I'll hurt people and I'll be hurt by people. 
This is the normal human experience. You see, for anyone to claim perfection, that is delusional. That is just to deceive yourself. And so, everyone stuffs up at some point in life, whether knowingly or unknowingly, whether willingly or unwillingly. And so, to err is human. And so, the opposite, to forgive is divine. Now, why might Alexander Pope say that? Was he onto something when he said that? Was he right when he said that? Well, you see, the Bible says that he was onto something right. To be able to forgive anyone, to be able to do that, is to act like God, like the divine. You see, when I've been hurt in any way, when you punch me, my natural inclination will be to punch you back and harder. If you mock me, then my natural inclination will be to mock you back, harsher. If you betray me, then my natural inclination will be to wait for that moment to get you back. You see, to, to err is human. Now, in case you think worse of me because of that, if you do punch me, I'm a bit of a chicken, I won't punch you back, so don't worry. And so, to err is human, but you see, to forgive is divine. And so, instead of trying to get you back, to seek retribution, to forgive means I acknowledge that a wrong was done. I acknowledge the hurt. I acknowledge that you've hurt me deeply, but instead I forgive, which means, which means I'm not going to bring that up against you anymore. When I've forgiven you, I've put it in the past. I won't bring it back up against you. And I do that because our reconciliation, our relationship is more important. And so that quote, to err is human, to forgive is divine, what Alexander Pope said, that is right. That is what the Bible says, to forgive you act like God. And so isn't it wonderful when you do in fact hear stories and see stories of forgiveness? When you hear of these stories, it's often so strange, so radical, but yet so beautiful and so powerful. A story like this one. In December of 2011, a 77-year-old man, Gerard Machen, he went out to buy papers in the morning, but he never returned. His wife, Patricia, sensed that something was wrong and so she went out looking for him. And what did she find? She found a pool of blood and an ambulance. Her husband was struck by a guy driving and that driver by the name of Brian Williamson who was sitting there by the road. Now imagine that was you. What would you do? Now I can't even start to imagine the pain, the agony to find your loved one dead on the ground, lifeless, alive that morning but lifeless now. I can't even begin to imagine the pain at that time. So what would you do if that was you? Well, wouldn't you want the person responsible to get it? to pay for it? Wouldn't you want the driver to be locked up in prison as long as possible? Wouldn't that be what you want? I mean, in Hinduism and, and Buddhism, that's what you want and that's what you expect. You see, when you do bad, something bad will happen to you. But what did the wife do in this situation? What did Patricia do? Well, surprisingly, she felt no anger towards that driver. She harboured no ill will toward Brian. 
In fact, later the Crown Prosecutor, he was surprised by her response. He wanted the driver to be punished and to get a harsher punishment than what he got. But Patricia, the wife, wanted nothing of that sort at all. In fact, what she did was surprising. She wrote a letter to Brian, the driver, for him to use in his defence. And in that letter she wrote this. She said, On the day of the accident, however bad it was for me, I realise it was a thousand times worse for you. And he used that in his defence. You see, she found it in her heart to forgive. Now, when we hear stories like this, it's strange, it's radical, but it is so beautiful and so powerful. Now, people were astonished by her response that she would forgive. And one atheist journalist, the one who wrote this article, she asked, why should people be surprised by this? Why should people be astonished by this action? And so this journalist, an atheist, she said, uh, she said this, Mrs Machen and her late husband were Christians who really lived up to their beliefs. And so when you do hear stories of forgiveness like that, it warms your heart, doesn't it? It warms your heart. And so when people hear stories like this, people say, well, that gives us hope in humanity. But you see, that is a misplaced hope. It is delusional to place hope in humanity because what does that quote say? To err is human. To be human means to make mistakes, whereas to forgive is divine. To act in such a way is in fact to act like God, to behave like God. And so our question for tonight is this. Why would anyone do such a thing? What did Patricia know that we don't? What did Patricia know that we need to know? Well, the parable we'll look at tonight will help us understand that. And so let's have a look. So I'd like you to open up your Bibles to Matthew. And so what happens? Well, Jesus taught this parable in response to a question one of his disciples came to him with. Peter asked him a question in verse 21. Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? You can sense where this question was coming from. Lord, my brother, he's a nuisance. He's a bit of a spoiled brat. Always bugging me, always pulling my hair. He's always in the way. He gets me in trouble, this brother of mine. And he looks better than me and I hate that. Surely there's a limit to my forgiveness. Surely seven times is enough. But what did Jesus say? Look at verse 22. I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now what Jesus was saying here was not, you you need to forgive up to 490 times. But what Jesus was saying was that there should be no limit to the number of times you forgive. Now why did Jesus say that? Well, now in this parable, he gives us the principle for why he said that, why there should be no limit in the number of time you forgive. And so in this story, in this parable, what happens? Well, there's this servant. This servant owns this king 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents. Now, to put that into perspective, one talent is 6,000 denarii. 
One denarii is one day's wage. And so let me put that into perspective into today's dollars. One hour's work. The minimum wage in Australia is $16.87. A standard day is eight hours, right? If you work in the government, it's less than that, seven and a half. I was a government employee for a while, seven and a half hours a day, that's all. But anyway, standard hour, eight, standard hours, eight hours. And so a standard day's wage in today's dollars will be about $135. Of course, if you're working at Maccas, you probably get less than that, but that's okay. So 10,000 talents, what would that be? 10,000 talents in today's dollars would be a bit over $8 billion. $8 billion, that's how much this servant owned this king. I mean, that amount, no slave could ever pay. I mean, today you can be a CEO and you probably won't even make that much money in your whole life. And so this guy was brought before this king to settle accounts. And you can imagine, this guy's done for. $8 billion, where is he going to find that? He's a slave. There's no way he would be able to pay that, even if he sold off his whole family, his wife, his kids, whatever his wife will be worth, or whatever his kids are worth, he'll never make $8 billion. Even if he were to sold his whole village, it wouldn't be enough. And so what did this slave do? Well, this guy did the smart thing. Look at verse 26. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Now, of course, this servant knew that there was no way at all he would be able to pay back $8 billion to pay back that amount. But what he was doing there was a smart thing. He was throwing himself down at the mercy of this king. And so what did this king do? Well, in a radical act of forgiveness and kindness and mercy, this king lets him off. Lets him off scot-free doesn't even try to get back at least a little. And so verse 27, we see the servant's master took pity on him, cancelled a debt and let him go. Didn't even have to pay back one cent. Now just imagine if you were this servant. Just imagine that. You'll be overjoyed, right? thrilled. you got your life back. No more debt. You can get on with life. $8 billion wiped off. You've just experienced forgiveness. You've just experienced mercy. And so you would expect, we would expect then, you would do likewise. And so what did this servant do? Well, as soon as he leaves the king's presence, he finds his fellow servant, a friend, a buddy, someone he worked with, a guy who only owed him 100 denarii. 100 denarii, that's 100 days wage. Today's dollars, 13,500. I mean, 13,500, that's peanuts compared to $8 billion. And so what happened? Verse 27, he grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. Now notice what this other servant did. He did the very same thing that this other servant did. Verse 29, he fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. He threw himself at the mercy of this other servant. But in an act of disregard to the king's mercy and the king's forgiveness, to the forgiveness he experienced, in an act of greed and selfishness, what did he do? Verse 30, he refused. Instead, he went off 
and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay his debt. Or later in this story, the king finds out and calls the servant in. And what does the king do? Verse 32, you wicked servant. Not just you are, you are a slow learning servant, so we'll take it easy with you. Not just you're a foolish servant, but you wicked servant, you evil servant. And the king goes on to say, I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured. That was his punishment until he should pay back all he owed. And we know there's no way he would be able to pay that back. And so that's the parable that Jesus taught. Now when you look at this parable, it seems that this parable is quite straightforward, isn't it? It seems like it's, it, it, the moral of this parable, the moral of this story is to forgive just as you've been forgiven. But you see, there's actually more to that. It's not simply teaching us about how we should live, how we should live a moral life, though that is a good thing. But you see, this parable goes deeper. It's a lot more personal. It speaks to each one of us. You see, and the parable, what it does here, it, it speaks to the realities of life. You see, what this parable is teaching us is that God is this king. God is this king who offers forgiveness to all who want it, despite how big or enormous that debt might be. He's also teaching us that we are this servant. We are the ones with this massive spiritual debt and we are the ones who should be seeking for forgiveness, throwing ourselves at the mercy of God. But now I suspect in a room like this, some of you might be thinking, why do I need forgiveness? Why do I need it? What have I done against God that will warrant any need for forgiveness? But you see, just as that quote goes, to err is human. Humans will err. Humans will make mistakes. Humans will muck up. Humans will hurt people. Humans will hurt God. And these are the debts we have against God. And just like in this parable, the God who made us will call us all one day to settle accounts. And we've all done, all that we've done will be brought into account. And so just imagine this. One day, when your life ends and you're, you're brought into the throne room of God and God looks at your whole life, all that you've done, all that you've thought and plays it back to you, all your debts, all your wrongs, all your mistakes and plays it back to you. When you were 10, remember that time? When you were 10, when you played a prank on that girl at school, you placed a, a, a tack pin on a seat just before she sat down, that girl was hurt and you didn't own up. Or remember the time when you were 11. On the weekend, you climbed the school roof to, to see if there were any balls to take and you were caught by the police. Remember that time? Or remember that time when you were 20? You drove around a roundabout thinking you were Schumacher, thinking you were invincible and you smashed the bus stop. Remember that time you had to go to court for that? Crazy things you've done. In fact, crazy things I've done. They're real. But more to that, you see, there's more than that. All your thoughts, all your desires, all the things you've lusted for, all your greed, all your selfishness. Look at all these things you've done. 
Look at all of these things you have thought about. These are the debts you'll have to pay for. And even worse than all of that, than all that, all that you've done and all that you've thought, the heart of your problem is in fact your heart. You have a heart that is against God, though he pursued you. You have a heart that does not worship God, though he made you. You have a heart that did not love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength, though he loves you. That is the bigger debt you'll have to pay for one day. And just like in the parable, that debt is big. That debt is enormous. That debt is huge. Eight billion spiritual dollars. And there's no way you can ever pay that. And so that's why this parable runs deeper. It is personal. It speaks to each and every one of us. It's a parable that shows us the the reality of what is happening between mankind and God. It's a parable that gives us a glimpse of the cosmic reality that God will call us to give account. And it's a parable that calls us to respond, to plead for forgiveness like this servant, to throw ourselves at the mercy of God, hoping with all hopes, wishing with all wishes that God would forgive You see, there's no way any of us can pay that debt. My good works, people like to think, my good works will pay for my debt. My good works, help giving my seat up to the old lady on the train. That's my good works, paying my taxes, trying to be decent and honest and kind where I can. People think, these are my good works, they should pay for my debt, but no. You see, these are the very things, these good things in life are things we should already be doing as humans. They don't pay for our debt. My good works are good works and they should be good works and they are the things I should do as human, as a human being, but they don't pay for my debt. My debt is a separate business. And so the wonderful promise of this parable is that God will forgive. God will forgive. Just like the king, $8 billion, don't worry about it. Your heart that has been against me, I will forgive it. Your debt that you've accumulated throughout your life, I will deal with it. That is the promise of God from this parable. You see, the God of the Bible, the only God there is, is the God who forgives. But now we need to understand this. You see, when God offers forgiveness, it's not as though it is his job and it's done easily with without any effort or thought or pain. Now, Catherine the Great, who was one-time ruler of Russia, she said this. She said, I shall be an autocrat. That is her job. That is her trade. And the Lord will forgive me. That's his. That's his job. It is God's job to forgive. And so she thought that, God will just forgive. That's what God does, just because he's God. But you see, it's not like that at all. It's not like that at all to forgive, even on a human level. Now, I don't know of a a human experience that would cause as much pain and agony as forgiving someone who has wronged you deeply. I mean, to forgive, to let the guilt of someone go, that is painful, the husband who commits adultery, who, who has a fling with his secretary, who breaks his marriage vow, 
To forgive that, that's painful. The friend who betrays you, who gossiped about you before you, behind your back, said something nasty about you. To forgive that, that is painful. The man who ran over your husband, like in the story of Patricia Machen, to forgive that, that is painful. You see, when I forgive, when you forgive, I take on the pain myself. That is what happens in forgiveness. I absorb the pain myself. And that's why with true forgiveness, you'll never bring back the past. With true forgiveness, you don't remember. Remember what you did in the past. I'm holding that against you now. Well, that's not true forgiveness. Now, there's this story about Miroslav Volf. He's a Croatian theologian, a Christian, and he writes about the pain of forgiveness in his book. And in this, in this book, he retells of a story of his childhood, a tragedy that happened. And so he writes this. I was one years old then and my five-year-old brother, Daniel, had slipped through the large gate in the courtyard where we had an apartment. He went to play with some soldiers. He had befriended in the neighbourhood military posts. And on that fateful day in 1957, one of the soldiers put Daniel on, on a horse-drawn bread wagon. And as they were passing through the gate on a bumpy cobblestone road, Daniel leaned over sideways and his head got stuck between the doorpost and the wagon. The horse kept going. And that little boy, Daniel, died on the way to the hospital. A son lost to parents who adored him and an older brother I would never know. That was what he wrote. Now, what would you do if you were Miroslav's parents? Well, most, most people would try to seek retribution. That soldier, he deserves to go to prison and as long as possible. Even though it was an accident, Nothing less, he needs to go to prison. I mean, a five-year-old boy was killed. I mean, any child, any child killed. That's, that's heartbreaking already. But if that were you, if you were that parent, what would you do? Well, do you know what Miroslav's parents did? Well, you can imagine the pain and agony of losing your five-year-old son, how horrific that would have been. But beyond comprehension beyond understanding, his parents decided to forgive that soldier. They themselves were Christians. His father was a minister. They knew that they had been forgiven much and so they decided to act like God. And so his mother said this, the journey to healing began at the foot of the cross as she gazed on the son who was killed and reflected about the God who forgave. The word of God tells us to forgive as God in Christ has forgiven us. So she said, and so we decided to forgive. And his father, he went to court and insisted that they would not press charges. And he said this, Why should one more mother be plunged into grief, this time because the life of her son, a good boy but careless in a crucial moment, was ruined? by the hands of justice. Now, after that soldier was released, Miroslav's father went to visit that young man and he visited him to reassure him of God's love 
and their forgiveness. And so Miroslav, he writes this. He said, The reason why my parents forgave was simple. God forgave them and so they forgave the soldier. But the forgiveness itself was difficult and excruciatingly painful. You see, to forgive is painful. To forgive means I absorb the pain and to to not take it out on the guilty. And so it is no less with God. When he forgives, for God to forgive is not just is not his job. In fact, it is out of his love and grace and mercy that he does so. And so how did God how does God absorb the pain and guilt, the debt of people? Well, it was by the death of his dear son Jesus Christ, who even at the cross he was butchered, he was brutalized, he was whipped, he was crucified, the most horrific death. There, an innocent man on the cross, what did Jesus say? He cried out to his father, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And so the debt for human sin was absorbed by God in the death of his son. And so you see today, forgiveness is a Christian thing. It is God alone who can offer you the forgiveness for all your debts, for all your sins. And it is God alone who is willing to absorb it all, absorb all the pain. And he does so by the death of his son, Jesus Christ. You see, forgiveness is a Christian thing. In the ancient world, a God who would have pity and act in mercy towards human beings was seen as a character defect. Forgiveness and mercy is a character unworthy of God. That's what they thought. But the God of the Bible, forgiveness, mercy, grace is his glory. And so tonight, if you are a Christian, then like your servant, you must remember, you must remember how much you've been forgiven. Eight billion dollars. There will never be a forgiveness in life that you will have to do that is bigger or greater than the forgiveness you've already received. And so if you are a Christian, you have to remember that because the forgiveness you've received cost God his son. And so we forgive. We forgive just as we've been forgiven. And when we do so, somehow, when we do so, we behave and we act like God. We bear the pain for the sake of the other. We do what God has done. You see, to hold grudges and to be bitter on the inside to be resentful against anyone, that is never the Christian way. That is never the Christian way. Nelson Mandela, he says this quite well. He says, Resentment is like drinking poison and then hoping it will kill your enemies. I mean, it's silly, isn't it? Being resentful, being bitter, holding grudges, that only destroys yourself, only harms yourself. And so, if you are a Christian tonight, forgive as you've been forgiven. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what your relationships are like. But if you're holding grudges, if you're bitter against someone, if you're avoiding someone, you must forgive just as you've been forgiven. The debt that was clear for you, $8 billion, your debt that is owed you, 
It's nothing like this. And so be merciful just as you've been shown mercy. And the warning in this passage is clear, isn't it? Verse 35. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you thrown into prison and tortured unless you forgive your brother from your heart. That's for the Christians. But tonight, if you are not a Christian, then this parable urges you to seek forgiveness, to throw yourself at the feet of God, to throw yourself at the mercy of God. And the promise of this parable is he will forgive you. All that you've done in your whole life, that will be wiped clean. You see, in the end, someone will have to pay the debt. In the end, someone will have to bear the pain for the debt and that can either be you or you let God take it. And when you do experience the forgiveness that does come from God, it is the most liberating thing ever, the most liberating human experience ever when my life, my selfish thoughts, my lustful desires, my hurtful deeds are laid before me, I know I have that quiet confidence, that quiet assurance that God has forgiven me. That is liberating. (coughs) To err is human, to forgive is divine. How good is it to know that the God of the Bible, the only God there is, is the God who forgives. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your love and for your mercy and for your grace and for your willingness to forgive people like us by the death of your dear son Jesus Christ. And so help us to throw ourselves at your mercy to seek forgiveness knowing that there is indeed forgiveness and help those of us who have already received forgiveness to always forgive just as we've been forgiven. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.